0: Let me uh, begin this lecture by trying to tie in one of the points with the the, the previous lecture and. and <clears throat> some of the reasons behind, uh, why I went over some of that material in, in the previous lecture. One of the evil results of extremism and the existence, uh, existence of extremist groups and ex- extremist acts <clears throat> among the Muslims is that it makes Islam an open target for non-Muslim propagandists. And we see Islam, you know, being attacked in many different ways in the media nowadays. And so we should have the the knowledge and the background of some things that are going on so that we can show and demonstrate to the people that, and it's not Islam that actually is even forcing these kind of actions upon uh, the United States or upon the West and so forth, but there have been conscious decisions by people in the West itself. And as I said, all of the, all of the references that I, that uh, I used in preparing my lectures on the, on the Gulf War, all of them are written by non-Muslim Western authors. Uh, And so, and the, the, uh, we have to open this door (coughs) of discussion to let the American people themselves know exactly what is going on and what exactly what has gone on. And how those steps that they have, that the American government at times has taken has had negative results for the Muslim world and also for the Americans themselves. I believe inshallah there are hopefully many people in the United States who when confronted or when see the actual facts coming from the government itself inshallah, and they will uh, understand the reality. And they may also help and try to assist the Muslims in trying to, uh, reduce the war against Islam. <clears throat> but as I was saying, and in the, the existence of the extremist groups and those who, uh, exhort to extremist practices, and it is as I said, it opens the door for Uh, non-Muslim propagandists. And it also opens the door for military or police action against the Muslims by both Muslims and non-Muslims. What I mean by that is that within the Muslim state, within the Muslim countries, I should say, the presence of these kind of groups and the actions that they perform is used as an excuse actually to crack down on the Muslims themselves. Not just the extremists. But actually the extremists and their actions are really simply an excuse to attack Islam and to fight the Muslims, even those Muslims who are not involved in such extremist acts. Those who are even peaceful. And many times, even the moderate and the extreme and the liberals are sometimes fall fall under the uh, attack, and it's just anything related to Islam. And it is, as I said, it is the presence of these uh, extremist groups that gives the enemies of Islam the excuse that they need, that they can put up in the media. Oh, look what they've done! We have to put an end to what they're doing and use force against them. And this has been done over and over again in the Muslim world, in Muslim countries and also obviously in the international level. So when we're talking about, actually when we're talking about uh, extremism, as I said, it is a great disease, a great munkar that is within the Muslim society. And we have to realize that. And some people, when they when they think, for example, uh, of the Khawarij. as one brother uh, just said, you know, uh, the Khawarizh better than the Marja. When they think of, let's let's take Bin Laden for example, and let's say that everything that is said about Bin Laden is true. Some people, when they think about people like Bin Laden, they think, oh, you know, this guy is finally somebody, you know, finally fighting for Islam and so forth. But again the question is, is the result actually something good for Islam or not? If he's just going to be someone that can be used as an excuse to fight against Islam and Muslim, then Muslims themselves should be the first who disapprove of what he's doing and should be the first to oppose him. The same thing in, happening in Egypt for example It was the actions of some extremist Muslims that led led to hundreds and thousands, sometimes, of Muslims being being put in prison and tortured, even though they are innocent. They had nothing to do. And not only that, when you have sometimes a Muslim who's kind of in the middle, and he's not really completely Islamic and he's not really uh, completely non-Islamic, so (laughs) to speak, I don't know, but you know what I mean. He's kind of like in the middle, hasn't really decided which way he really wants to take uh, his life. And these actions by the extremists, sometimes they are enough in themselves to drive that person away from Islam. Even though he might be sincere and he might really be thinking about Islam. And even in, for example, in this country, I know some people who before September 11th, they were reading about Islam and thinking about Islam and were close to converting and then after September 11th they wanted nothing to do with this. So this is the, the kind of, uh, as I said, the kind of ne- one of the many negative results that can be the, that can be, uh, <clears throat> that can, can, that can result from, uh, the actions of the, uh, of the extremists. And the presence of the extremists in, in, in our midst. Now many of times, of course, uh, and this is the, this is the strange thing. I mean sometimes, even you can think of the most evil thing, maybe some, something positive might, might come out of it. Okay, but you cannot use that as an excuse to justify the evil thing that was done. And he has the, what is the expression in, uh famous expression in Arabic? And if he, and with every and he strike, there might be a lesson that you get, but that doesn't mean you want to go out and be struck every time. And you should be able to try to find the lessons and the benefits through ways which are uh, which are better. So for example, even even in this kind of situation that's happening now, sometimes the door for example the door for Dawah, the door for presenting Islam has been has been open for Muslims out and as a result of the statements that some people made about Islam. I and mean, they make a statement about Islam and that gives us the opportunity and chance to reply and to give them uh, I mean, what is the real Islam. For example uh, if you paid close attention to the to the media after September 11th, and in particular, uh, if you if you listen to many of the Christian programs, uh, especially if you have like a shortwave radio, there's the Christian programs all over the <laughs> shortwave radio. After September 11th, there were many of these Christian groups. They were stressing. The fact, and you see how violent these Muslims are, this is our now our opportunity to go to the Muslims and give them the real message of what? What is the real message that they want? The real message of love. This is now our chance to go there because, you know, we're Christians. We believe in peace and love this is now our chance to go to those poor people who know nothing but violence and show them that, you know, this is the real message message of love and that's what they're missing in their life. As I said, sometimes this is an opportunity for ourselves to make da'wah and to refute the false claims about Islam. And one thing about Christianity, if you know the history of Christianity, it's not about love. History of Christianity is more about war than anything else. And if, for example, even the even the nature of Jesus Christ, there's a book just recently published called uh, "When Jesus Became God." <laughs> and if for about 300 years in the in the Christian community, they had different beliefs about Jesus. You know, some said he's one of the Trinity, he's equal, he's the same substance as the father and son and the other said, no, he's equal, but he's of different substance. And they would actually fight and kill each other over these things. Until finally, you know, after the Constantinople and everything, and uh, I mean, Constantine and, and the forcing of, of one view upon all the others. After the year 325, finally one Christian group became the dominant force and forced their view upon the others. Again, with violence. And then in the history of Christianity, of course, you also have the Crusades. And where is this peace and love that they're, that they're talking about? The Crusades, there was at least 17 different Crusades. 17 different Crusades that went out in a holy war to fight against the pagans. And one thing noticeable about the many of those Crusades, many of those armies, as they went from Western Europe to Eastern Europe, if they ran into some Christian groups that they didn't particularly like, they would wipe them out also. And then there was also the Inquisition in Spain and so forth. And then you have Christian countries of the 20th century, like the United States. How many wars has the United States gotten into? Just since World War II. How many countries have they invaded and attacked? But one of the, one of the main differences on this issue between Islam and Christianity <clears throat> is that when it comes to the use of force, the, the legit, legitimate use of force, at least in Islam we have very clear guidance that we can claim, they may not agree with us, but we can claim that this guidance comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know from our religion when is it legal to use force? When is it not legal to force, use force? In other words, what is a just war and what is not a just war? We know that straight from our Quran and from the Sunnah of the Prophet The Christians don't have anything of that nature. Isa ﷺ never was the leader of a community that had to go to war and distinguish between what is war and what isn't war. And so therefore, in fact, some of his teachings, you know, if you listen to them, they certainly never applied by the Christians, you know, turn the other cheek and all that kind of stuff. So the Christians, the Christians over the years developed the concept of the just war. The Christians as human beings got together, they didn't have much guidance, certainly not the Old Testament if you know about wars and battles in the Old Testament. And they got together and they developed the concept of the just war. And now in the modern age, they have the audacity to talk about jihad and to write about jihad. And to say, do the Muslims have anything similar to the concept of a just war? And it's as us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know what is a just war and what isn't a just war. They, on the other hand, they have no guidance. So they have to come up with different theories and every 10 years, every 20 years as they continue to write about what is a just war, they differ and they change their idea about what is the basis of a just war, when is a war just enough. So even this kind of uh, attacks upon Islam, as I said, and if we can use it against them, and they are not claiming, they are not uh, what they're claiming, that they're all about peace and love. And if they try to spread that message to the Muslims, We should be ready and know that what they are saying is not true whatsoever. Because many Muslims, I I shouldn't say many Muslims, but I know of some Muslims who have actually been affected. And some who have even left Islam for Christianity based on those false kind of claims. You know, they have people here like Billy Graham since World War II, since the time actually of, of Harry Truman, since World War II. Every president, whenever they go to war, they try to get Billy Graham's blessing. It doesn't matter what kind of the war for oil, Billy Graham's blessing. Fortunately for them, Billy Graham has never met a war that he doesn't like, apparently. This Christian uh, believer in peace and love and so forth. <clears throat> but unfortunately, as, as I said also, Of course, the ramifications can be much greater than that. And that is, of course, obviously the loss of many Muslim lives. When they use the actions of some Muslim extremists to attack Islam and to open the door for the attack upon Islam and Muslims and allow the killing of Muslims. And as we know, many cases of that nature. I won't uh, uh, speak too much about it. (coughs) So as I said it opens the door for attacks upon Islam and it also distorts the true picture of Islam. And when it distorts the true picture of Islam as I said, it takes even Muslims away from Islam sometimes. And they see, <coughs> they see this being presented as, as Islam while in fact it is not uh, Islam whatsoever. However, one of the one of the major things, and probably, uh, you know, those people who are working against Islam, and we know, and maybe conspiracy theories are sometimes blown up, but we know from the statements that there are, there are people who don't like Islam, and they're working against Islam. And one of the major things by which they they use through the actions of the terrorists, and I mean uh, the actions of the extremists, is that by that they try to make people stray. If you remember the three groups, as I said before, the the liberals and the fundamentalists and the extremists, they try to use the action of the extremists to make people afraid of even being among that middle group that are following the Sunnah wal Jamaa, and what you could call the what they would like, or what you could call the fundamentalists, so to speak. And by through propaganda and so forth, they make Muslims to be to be afraid of even being even being associated with Islam, even if it is the as I said, even if it is the true form of Islam. And as I said in the first lecture, one way that they do that is they use fundamentalists and extremists interchangeably. In one sense, they'll be talking about the Muslim extremists, and then all of a sudden they're just talking about Muslim uh, fundamentalists as if they're all. One and the same people. And even within the Muslim community. Even within the the Muslim community. There are certain actions that that are part of the Sharia. Part of the Sunnah. And people are afraid to do them. Because they don't want to be seen as as an extremist. One case that I, I know of. That has, I mean one issue that I know of has come up uh, a lot is the issue for example of women covering their face. And I've heard, I've heard, uh, for example some sisters complaining in, in particular about their, their parents that their parents will not allow them to cover their face because they say that covering the face this is the what the extremists do. So don't do that. Well, what's next? Extremists go to the mosque. Supposedly, right? Okay, so don't go to the mosque. You might be an extremist. Don't grow your beard. You might be then people who think you're an extremist. Where's the limit? Well, I can assure you if they can start removing these things one by one, they will move to the next step. Until they can try to eradicate almost everything of Islam by identifying it as these are what the extremists do, stay away from it. And as I said, if this were just the non-Muslims saying that, that wouldn't be a big problem. But within the Muslim community, the effect of the media and the propaganda and the influence is so great that within the Muslim community, you can find people who do not want to do acts of the Sharia that they are supposed to do to be on the straight path simply because they don't want to be labeled as an extremist. And as I said, as these acts get more and more, and coming to the lecture for a mosque, for example, attending a session like this to get knowledge about Islam, to attend a lecture. And to attend a lecture, for example, this is a sign that you're interested in Islam. This might be a sign that you might be... There's a question mark now over you. Yeah. You might be an extremist. Otherwise, why would you go to a lecture? I know there's a jump in the logic, but that's, you know, that's what you call effective uh, advertising. (laughs) So more and more, as more and more acts, or more and more as they describe the extremists. I told you about that one book called Hadahu uh, Islamahum, and this is their Islam, where in the picture they have the person wearing the short tobe and the beard. It's the same kind of thing. And he's trying to identify even the actions of the Sunnah, the actions of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam as being some kind of extreme. And why people are listening to that, why is it affecting them? Because there are extremists who have done certain acts And yes, we don't approve of their acts. Nobody approves of their acts. Nobody, I don't want to be called an extremist. Nobody wants to be called uh, an extremist. But you have to realize that, you know, just because they did certain acts which are extreme doesn't mean now you leave everything about Islam. But that is, that is happening unfortunately to some people. Another aspect, uh, even for example, the the concept of, uh, by the way, the concept of jihad. And in the concept of jihad, people, Muslims are, you can see Muslims are kind of trying to distance themselves more and more from the concept of jihad. Obviously, the Quran... Talks about jihad in many cases, in many places. And in fact, the jihad, it's true there's many types of jihad and jihad has many aspects to it, but one of the most important forms of jihad is the legitimate use of force to make the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala supreme. But now if, if you, if you were to stop Many Muslims in the streets in the United States, and ask him, "Do you believe in jihad?" I bet you many of them would say, "No, no, I don't." Jihad. This is uh, those extremists. You know, they they make jihad. And if they pass that on to the next generation, what's going to happen? No one is going to, you know. Over time, the ultimate result could be then no one is going to have the understanding that at some time you might need to stand up and defend Islam. If we don't speak about this and make people understand what is really jihad, what's the difference between jihad and what the extremists are doing and what the terrorists are doing and we don't understand it clearly, Then, this is what could happen over time. That people become so distant from jihad, that the concept itself may be lost among most Muslims. And so therefore, if the enemies ever try to attack Islam, it will be open for them. Another thing closely, even also closely related to that is Islam, the word Islam. How many times have you heard recently that Islam means peace? Watch! I'll do a trick on you now. How many times have you heard recently that Islam means peace? Raise your hand. What's the relationship between raising your hand and how many times have you heard? The <laughs> how many of you heard people say that the Islam means peace? Okay. Is that true? Islam means peace? Now, one of the meanings of the word "Islam, I challenge any of you <laughs> yeah, I challenge any of you to go to any classical Arabic dictionary, and apparently this brother's already done the work for you. <laughs> and show me where "Islam" means peace." Yeah, the word "Islam does not mean peace." As the brother was saying, you know, actually the root, you know, the root, yes, comes from the same root as the word Salam, and the root in essence, the meaning is, uh, you know, to be like free of defections, free of uh, uh, disease or illness, weakness and this kind of thing, but Islam means the, the submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so forth, doesn't mean peace, you know. Nifaq and nafaqah come from the same root but, you know, don't tell me that uh, you're gonna make uh, nifaq towards your wife because the Qur'an says that she gets (laughs) nafaqah. It's a big difference between the two. But when you, when you keep spreading this that Islam means peace again, you are taking away because Islam also means justice. If someone's going to say Islam means peace, I'm going to say Islam means justice. (laughs) Of course, Islam doesn't mean justice, right? Just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Apparently, nobody was paying attention. (laughs) Islam also stands for justice. Right? Adil is one of the key concepts in the Quran. And sometimes, in order to get justice, in order to get adil, you have to resort to force. I can imagine our children, the next generation, or or, our grandchildren here in the United States, when they hear about Muslims making jihad or fighting someplace, asking their fathers or their grandfathers, Islam means peace. How come these people are fighting over there? No, Islam means peace. We're like the Christians. We believe in peace. (laughs) also like all uh, all innovations all groups of uh, innovations and basically as we said before <coughs> uh extremism is a form of uh, innovation type of innovation like all innovations its extremism and extremist groups the presence of extremist groups among the muslims causes division and with division also oftentimes obviously you get hatred and rancor among the Muslims. <coughs> we know clearly from the Qur'an <coughs> that we as Muslims are supposed to come together, but we come together not just in the name of Islam, but we have to come together on some basis. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ya haqqa wa la illa muslimun." And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us in these verses to have the proper taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to what is his right, and die not save as Muslims. And hold all together to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not divide. And do not divide among yourselves. So the key, the thing that brings us together is this court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And as if we have the proper taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring us together uh, along that path. And that is the key to our unity. That is the real unity among the Muslims. And anytime there comes, there appears a kind of bid'ah or innovation among the Muslims, there's going to be division. There's going to be division because, inshallah, as the Prophet ﷺ has told us, there will always be at least some Muslims who are following the right way, al haqq And those Muslims, when they see this bid'ah, when they see this group, these heretics, they will have to oppose them. They will have to oppose what they're doing for the sake of Allāh ta'ala. In fact, just after those uh, verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about his bounty, how he brought the Muslims together. وَذْكُرُوا النِّعْمَةِ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَاصْبَحْتُمْ وَكُنتُمْ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاتَكُمْ منكم أمّة يدعون إلى الخير ويأمرون بالمعروف وينهون عن المنكر وأولئك هم المفلحون. In the same set of verses in which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is reminding the Sahabah of the of the of the uh, bounty that they gave them, how He brought their hearts together and be and they became brethren by His grace. And they were on the pit of the of the fire and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala saved them then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, there should be a group among you calling to what is good, or uh, ordering what is proper, and eradicating what is evil, and those are the ones who are successful. So it always has to be a characteristic of the believers that when they see an innovation, or when they see a wrong deed, it is their obligation to uh, eradicate it to work against it, to try to remove it. So if you have, for example, uh, an extremist act, like in the case of the Prophet Muhammad Sallam, when he heard about those people who did some extreme acts, he ordered them to stop what they were doing. And when he referred to the Khawarij who were coming, he said, you know, as I quoted yesterday, if I were among them, or if I were to meet them, I would destroy them like the way the people of Ad were destroyed.